Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangent. It's a lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, I'm joined, as always, by Stefan Chin. I'm here again. What's your tagline? How can a cottage make cheese? Sam Schultz is also here. Hey. Nice shirt. That's the same one I always wear. <laughs> yeah. What's your tagline? Beam me up, snotty. Like, <laughs> Sari Riley's also in the in the town. Yep. What's your tagline? Hire me as your game show host. And I'm Hank Green, and my tagline is four ducks. Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we try to get uh, together and one-up and amaze and delight each other with science facts. And we're playing for glory. We're also playing for Sam Bucks. Oh, They're yeah. called Sam Bucks because Sam won season one. We're going to do everything we can to stay on topic, but we won't. Probably. So if you go on a tangent that we deem unworthy, we get, you can get Dr. Hank Buck. Oh, excuse but, me. Oh, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> ah, the best way to do that is to talk about Twilight. And now, as always, we introduce this week's science topic with the traditional science poem. It's from Sam. When I was a lad, I could eat what I wanted. 
chug four or five sodas, and remain undaunted. Taquitos and chicken wings were a light snack, then maybe some Oreos. How about half a pack? The Wendy's value menu was sweet Ooh, salvation when I was experiencing yeah. teenage starvation. Yeah. But now I am old, and anytime I eat garbage, I feel sorry for myself and get quite lethargic. So now I eat dumb things that grown-ups must eat, like black beans and broccoli and lean cuts of meat. <laughs> I've even deluded myself into believing that seltzer water and Coke are equally pleasing. No. It's probably for the best, a healthy diet I now nurture, though sometimes I sneak out for a junior bacon cheeseburger. Ooh. Is that your your Wendy's value menu of choice? It's actually spicy chicken sandwich, but uh, yeah. junior bacon cheeseburger right. was a little bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah. seltzer water is perfectly as fine as Coke. I just need it to be it's fizzy. Not. That's That's no. my thing. Yeah, it helps. But then when you have a Coke after a long time, you're like... Isn't there caffeinated seltzer water? And can that be our thing? <laughs> yeah, we're cutting it out of the episode because that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> the topic is nutrition. So this could be a lot of different things. But basically, nutrition is just, uh, is it always heterotrophic? Do plants get nutrition from the sun or do they make it themselves? If I'm a plant, do I have to worry about nutrition? Yeah. Because there's Cause those, I make it myself. There's the plants where like other things poop on them and then yeah. they like absorb stuff from that yeah could you and you could end up planted in a bad place right mm -hmm. would that be part of minerals about are nutrition? part of nutrition I feel like nutrition what? like you must eat is breathing uh -huh. nutrition no mm. oh is water nutrition Sarah, why don't you tell us what nutrition is <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Hank has led us down a very winding road uh -huh. to the idea that nutrition is the intake of things that you need to survive okay, okay. but not so breathing is then Air, you yeah, but, do you need to metabolize, right? Yeah. So I guess air, air is, is nutrition. nutrition. What are people supposed to be eating? You're supposed to eat food. Yeah, but if we couldn't make Twinkies and stuff like that. That's the big question. That, like, what it turns out that we're really good at eating lots of different things. Mm -hmm. Like, we yeah. just are fantastic omnivores. Mm -hmm. And our bodies, our lifestyles are able to accommodate a tremendous variety. Like if you talk about like sort of the paleo diet, uh -huh. it's really interesting to look at what actually paleolithic people ate. Uh -huh. It's just like it's a tremendous variety. Some people were entirely vegetarian. Some people ate only blood and milk and meat. Some people ate like a mix of all of those things and like people were all okay uh -huh. doing all of those things. The big questions now are like, in our quest to create really inexpensive, really good tasting food, have we just made it too easy to eat too much and right. too enjoyable? If I, if food tasted less good, it would be a whole lot easier to eat healthy. Mm. Doritos. But food tastes so good now. Yeah. Like a quarter pound double stack with cheese? Are you kidding me? Oh, boy. Do you want to know? I, I research etymology now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's, it comes from nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Nutrition comes from nut, the original food. <laughs> but it actually comes from the Latin word nutrire, which means, by one definition, feed or nourish. By another definition, to suckle. Ooh. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So plants don't have nutrition. They, they don't, don't suckle. suckle. They suckle out the ground. Yeah. I think their roots suckle. Yeah. The teat of the earth. That's all they do. <laughs> I don't think that we made it any, anything any clearer, but we uh, are going to move on. Okay. But we had some fun. Uh, I guess. We're going to move on to. Where one of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but most of those facts are fake, but one of them is real. And we have to figure out which one is the real fact. So which of these three things is true? One. 
intro. There's no preamble. Uh, number one, a man decided to try to survive on eating grass alone. Oh. He made it for two weeks, but he was consuming so much grass that he had to poop dozens of times a day. And so often ended up eating while pooping. That's more than the ideal amount of times to poop a day. Number two. In the 70s, a mix-up at a chemical company resulted in animal feed being mixed with a flame retardant. Oh, no. Mm. The mixture was distributed and fed to livestock, and the contaminated animal products were eaten by consumers, (gasps) resulting in one of the worst mass poisonings in U.S. history. Oh, my gosh. Or number three. But no one caught on fire. No one caught on fire. No surgical fires. (laughs) And number three. Researchers studying social ants discovered that whether a female becomes a worker or a queen is determined by how much food each larva is fed. And it turns out that insulin levels in each larva is the primary driver of what caste the ants end up in, with higher levels of insulin resulting in queens. That's an interesting fact, but it's not like... A guy ate grass for two weeks, and, he, and during those two weeks, he pooped literally thousands of times. I don't know if the math checks out. He at there. least pooped every he like, every waking hour. Of times. <laughs> yeah. Probably some sleeping hours too. So we've got man ate grass, pooped a lot. Number two, we fed some flame retardant to some animals, and then we ate them, and we also got sick. Or number three, there are some ants. And they turn into different kinds of ants based on what food they get fed and their insulin levels. Is it possible that a flame retardant chemical would not be toxic to animals in a lethal dose, but it would Well, humans? it doesn't necessarily oh. have to be lethal. They just have to be healthy enough to yeah. survive. Yeah. I mm. mean, with animals, it's like, oh, they're a little sick and let's just slaughter them and feed them to people. And then the right. people are like, I also now have diarrhea and that's still poisoning. Mm-hmm. You don't have to kill people. I would think they would look into what was giving all their cows diarrhea first, maybe. I feel like you could definitely accidentally add the wrong thing to animal food. There's a bunch of additives that go into animal feed. And then the ant one. I don't know anything about ants, so. I know nothing about ants. That that sounds like, I know that with bees, if you feed certain, like the royal jelly, something about like a different kind of food makes the bees different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that is true about bees. And ants are in the same order. (laughs) Maybe as bees and wasps. I don't know what Sounds right. level it is, but yeah. they're similar. Uh-huh. They're cousins. And so it makes sense that ants would also, because they are social right. and have a caste system, they have some way of differentiating that. Why not food? Do ants make something like honey or do they just eat food? Oh, no, they don't make ant honey. Well, this is the thing. There are so many insects that don't make honey. <laughs> and I'm just like, come on, slackers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with the grass one. Going with grass, Going with grass field. man. Yeah, oh. I think I, I just want to hear more about it, which is my new method of picking the thing that I. Oh want yeah, to. I do want to hear more about it. I'm gonna go with grass man. Grass man. Oh, I'm going with grass man. I'm gonna go with the poisoned animals one poisoned because animals. that seems bad, and I should know about it if it's real. And Sari was right. Oh. Uh, so the grass one was based off of pandas. Because uh, uh, much do they poop? About up to 40 times a day, they only digest less than a fifth of the bamboo that they eat. So Uh they have to eat a ton of bamboo, which means they spend all day pooping undigested bamboo. A panda can poop up to 14,000 times a year. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, grass would be really bad for our teeth because of all the silica in there. Ooh. And like ruminants have ever-growing teeth. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but sure. 
the their teeth keep growing to replenish mm-hmm. what they lose from mm-hmm. chewing on well, we cool. rough grass. Spinach. And that has oxalate crystals in it. That's why it's like gritty in your teeth. But I don't eat a lot of it. That's true. So sorry, I, that was all I had to say about the grass one. Oh, I hope that was a satisfying. That, it wasn't, but thank okay. you. <laughs> You're welcome. So yeah, so apparently in 1973, this chemical company accidentally swapped the flame retardant with a cattle nutritional supplement. Which seems like keep those in different parts of the the chemical plant. Yeah, it's like on big metal drums, though. Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Just unlabeled <laughs> drums. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they fed that to the cows, and the farmers were like, "Something's weird," because like the, some of the calves are dying. Like the milk, they're producing less milk. They seem sick, oh. but they didn't know what was happening, and so the milk went out into stores, and like oh. people drank oh. it. Milk. Yeah, milk. The fact that it's milk now makes me think I've heard about this. Polybrominated biphenyl is the chemical oh, yeah, that was a bad one. was in the flame retardant. Yeah. It's one of the chemicals that acts sort of like an estrogen in the body, and so there were a lot of miscarriages in mothers at the, around that time, and mm-hmm. children who were exposed as fetuses ended up having or uh, experiencing menstruation earlier than normal, hmm. but boys who were exposed ended up maturing more slowly and had genital abnormalities more than normal. And then the dairy farmers that were tested had a lot of immune system abnormalities. So a lot of people got this milk. Yeah, at least a few thousand okay. before they figured it out. And then they had to like exterminate all the, the livestock and bury them somewhere. And the, the chemical company is now closed and is a super fun site. So yay for the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> we really had no well, idea. We had to learn somehow. I, I, I guess suppose. so. So the ants thing is... Based on insulin, apparently, but Mm. it's not based on how much food they eat. There's a gene that controls how much insulin they produce that seems to have evolved now to respond to, like, social cues. And so when the female ants are in the presence of larvae, this gene is, I guess it would be downregulated. And then, so they have less insulin. Uh And then that causes them to not become reproductive females. So they just become like caretakers for the larva. And then the queens are the ones that end up, I guess they're not exposed to the larva. And so, so they no have higher insulin around level. And they're yeah. like, oh, I'm needed. Yeah. Huh. It's like when there's a bunch of bananas around there, their bananas get ripe. <laughs> Whoa. Is that true? Yeah. Wait. I think <laughs> is it because gas. of the radiation? No. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, they release a gas that ripens each other? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's like no. fruits in general. Really? Ethylene gas. And that's why like, if you put pears in a brown paper bag, you're like trapping that gas in there so it ripens. Oh, I didn't know that they released that gas. Because I knew in like when they transport... Oh, yeah, they pump it in there. They pump it in to, yeah. to cause the ripening. But I didn't know the plants were doing yeah, it. Too. Like that's anatomy. cool. Nature, man. So if you have a bunch of bananas, should you, and they're getting ripe too fast, should, should you, like you separate them? them? Yeah, you, gotta, you gotta separate <laughs> them. That's why banana hooks are a thing. Like you Wait. Like, set up the hook so that your bananas are kind of spread apart and hanging in the air, I think. So that and they're the not air like... travels around them more easily. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just fun. No, it's to it's keep, keep them from ripening. I should, I put a, should I have a fan running on my bananas all yes. the time? Yes. You have a lot of bananas. Disperse that so ethylene. You need to keep them fresh longer. Yeah. How many bananas do you buy at a time? Three. Three bunches? No, three oh. bananas. <laughs> okay. Wow. I don't even know they sell I, them in threes. They don't. I tear half the bunch. <laughs> you creep. <laughs> you can buy just one banana. Yes. You shouldn't, though. Why? I don't know. It seems rude. Banana, it seems rude. But someone else might want... Four bananas or something. Yeah. Uh, so if happens. you just buy one, then you're really... Yeah, you're helping out. We need to set up some kind of app where also, we can figure Also, Ste- Stefan's touched every banana in I the store. I don't doubt it. 
Yeah, I touch every banana and then I pick I pick one banana from each bunch until I have the three perfect bananas. <laughs> <laughs> what if you had to walk around a store and find your perfect banana partner? So you'd have to like if you only take two, you had to find someone to take the other three. Yeah, yeah. That could be fun. Yeah. Encourages a little bit of social Some interaction community. while you're grocery shopping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got three, I got a three I got, a I got three first. <laughs> Please, I just want to leave the store. <laughs> Next up, we're gonna take a short break and then It'll be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing around the office of their MGO 850 plus their best selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. 
from Manacora. If you head to Manacora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. We're back. Sam Buck totals. Sari, you got one. Sam, you got one. Steph, you got two. I got zero. And now it's time for the fact off, where two panelists have brought in science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow your minds. And you each have a Sam Buck to award to the fact that you like the most. This week, it's me versus Sari. So I'm worried, <laughs> And Sam has a trivia question to decide who, which of us goes first. So Joey Chestnut is an American competitive eater. He's currently ranked number one by the Major League Eating Organization. Every 4th of July, he competes in the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. And in 2018, he broke his own world record for the amount of hot dogs and buns eaten in 10 minutes. Okay. How many did he eat? Whoever's closest. 10 minutes? Yeah. (sighs) Hot dog and bun, 10 minutes. One. Oh, 21. Is that? 21? <laughs> I could eat 21 hot dogs in 10 minutes. No, I would, you cannot. Uh, I will I go with for 22. <laughs> Wait, because I will be closer than Sari. Uh, that's really rude. <laughs> that is rude. Yeah. So the correct answer is 74. Oh, okay. You didn't even try to guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're just making fun of me with that guess. I could not eat more than 21. I imagine Joey Chestnut had a normal metabolism, but apparently not. I have uh, no thought about metabolism. Yeah. Uh, stomach yeah. size. Yeah. I don't know if this is a real thing, but do they like wet the buns so yeah, that they yeah. go down? You can dip smooth. the bun. Yeah. <gasps> yeah dip he, does the buns. The, he does the hot dog That's first and he dips anymore. the bun. It's no, not about fun. It's not for enjoyment. No, it's not fun. I want to have fun when I eat a lot of pie. I did pie eating contest because I like pie. I do kind of want a hot dog now and enjoy it. Unlike Joey. Oh, so Hank, man. you go first. Oh, dang it. I should have gone with 20. In 2002, the body of a gray whale was found in Monterey Canyon at a depth of 2,891 meters. One of the deepest large whale falls ever found up to that point. And it was covered in deep-sea invertebrates, including weird, red, fuzzy plumes of what scientists discovered were several species of new worm in the genus Osidax. Osidax are, as deep-sea invertebrates often are, weird. The only Osidax that could be seen were female, uh, and they were around 0.2 to 0.5 millimeters in width. So... They were like, where are the males? Where are the males? Where are the males? The males were microscopic in inside of the female Osidax tubes. Uh, some of the larger worms had up to 111 males inside of them. But Ooh. that is not my fact because that has nothing to do with nutrition. <laughs> uh, what makes Osidax super weird is that the name Osidax translates in Latin to bone devourer because they re- uh, rely on mammalian bones for nutrition. And it does that without a mouth or a gut, so it doesn't bite, doesn't chew, it doesn't swallow. Instead, this worm, which is an animal, has kind of roots. So at the end of the female Osidax, there's a bunch of green tissue that, like, forms, like, little fingers that dig into the bone and then sucks out various things inside of there, the the marrow, the collagen, the cholesterol in the marrow— 
but the Osidax worms cannot themselves digest that stuff. And so, in addition to having microscopic males inside of them, they have little cellular compartments that house large rod-shaped bacteria called Oceanospiralis, which are able to break down the complex organic compounds necessary for the Osidax to survive. In most marine endosymbiosis, you have bacteria that are helping turn, like, light into energy for the host animal, but in this case, the endosymbiont is actually helping to convert food to food Mm. for these weird bone-devouring worms. And then they feed all their friends, their microscopic friends inside of them? Or yeah, the little, I think the males get eat, eat the same way. Okay. But they don't have roots? They don't have roots. They're just hanging out inside. It's like a lady house. It's like a lady house. <laughs> Someone's like, am I allowed to say lady house? <laughs> <laughs> but it's weird. When you look at it, it, it looks like algae is just growing on them. It's just like sort of like fuzzy, but when you get close up, you can see that there are these little worms. Yeah. Her definition of nutrition at the very beginning, these are like plants because they don't have mouths or guts. I know. So they just, this is, if this still counts as nutrition, then what plants do count as nutrition? Yes. We're blurring the boundaries. Mm-hmm. We're finding the edges. Ooh. Yeah. What if we didn't have mouths or guts and we just had roots out of our feet? Step on sandwiches. And just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just a big <laughs> vat of food that you step in. The lunch area. The communal or it's just work like comes vat. out of your yeah. fingers. You just put your fingers on a sandwich oh. and like little roots come out and like <laughs> infiltrate the sandwich. Now, why would we have invented sandwiches in this universe? Doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's a great, great point. Everything would just be soup. So there are 13 vitamins recognized by modern medicine. Those are things like vitamin C or biotin that keep us healthy. And vitamins don't provide energy like macronutrients, so like proteins or fats or things like that. But we typically can't synthesize enough of them, with exceptions like vitamin D, so no one yells at me. And they're important for different biochemical reactions that keep us alive and functioning. And vitamin deficiencies are generally bad for health. Uh And throughout history, there have been substances that were called vitamins that have had the label stripped away from them for various reasons. Like Pluto. Like dangerous Pluto. (laughs) And dangerous Pluto in this case is vitamin B17, which is notably nowadays not a vitamin. The chemical compound is called amygdalin, which was first isolated in 1830 by French chemists. It's a cyanogenic glycoside, which is a sugary chemical that can produce hydrogen cyanide when it's broken down and found in lots of plants like peach or apple or apricot seeds and pits. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and so when it was this, discovered... This is why everyone always says there's cyanide in apple seeds? Yeah, okay. because there's uh, oh. a cyanogenic glycoside. And it turns into cyanide yeah. inside of you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, when it's metabolized by certain enzymes, then it turns into hydrogen cyanide. Huh. And so amygdalin was tentatively used in medical treatments in pill form, but determined to be too toxic in like the late 1800s. But in the 1950s, a dude called E.T. Krebs Jr. branded a synthetic form of amygdalin called Latril, as vitamin B17 as a supposed cancer cure. The false oh theories mm-hmm. include that Latril is more toxic to cancer cells than normal cells, so it would, like, target them more. Yeah. That cancer is caused by a vitamin B17 deficiency. Of course. And that the cyanide produced by the compound effectively boosts your immune system. That's oh, what they always okay. say. If it doesn't kill you. Yeah. And so by the 1970s, Vitamin B17 picked up steam and tens of thousands of people were reported to have been treated with it. But when we actually did scientific studies, none of them found it to be effective. It is definitely not a vitamin because deficiencies of it 
don't, don't do anything. Hmm. And it caused cyanide poisoning in the people who were treated uh. with it. In 1980, the U.S. issued a federal ban on shipping latril between states. And since then, it's been described as a scientific quackery. So like vitamin B-17 has become really notorious as a fake campaign in right. medical history. I love this because I've heard over and over and over again that there's cyanide in apple seeds. But really, this all comes from, I bet, vitamin B-17, where they're like, oh, mm. this chemical comes from apple seeds and it produces cyanide when we eat it. And then that got mixed up. And mm-hmm. I know it's like, if you eat an apple seed, it's going to pass. Yeah, or unless you grind up like a bunch of them. Because yes. I think that's what they did to produce vitamin B-17, oh. like grind up a bunch of pits. All right, you guys got your answers? <laughs> oh, we have to choose. Yeah. Yes. I just liked hearing about them. I don't want to choose. <laughs> Three, two, one. One Hank. Hank. Oh, oh, coming back! Oh, <laughs> no. It's time now for Ask the Science Couch. We've got some listener questions to ask to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. This is from at Nits and Laughs. Is there a reason the science of nutrition has changed or seemed to change so much in a short period of time? I've been around for 40 years now, and it does seem like we have not been great at figuring out how to get people healthier. And it is all it almost to me seems a little like the focus on nutrition might be hurting. We put value judgments on food and we mm. talk about what's good and what's bad and it's just freaking everybody out, stressing people out and that's making us live less healthy lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different food is going to treat different people differently. Mm. Different people like when we do find statistical you know, like like one thing is is causing or doing something. The effect sizes are often really small, huh. even if it is real. We just need to eat stuff that looks like food. So, like a rock that looks like a <laughs> yeah, apple just, or like, something. Like, yeah, just like a, just like <laughs> one of those pla- like plastic hot dogs yeah. from from okay. set, de- set design. I can do that. Class. But how the science of nutrition has changed rapidly or recently, I'm not really sure. I don't know that it. I don't. I don't get the sense that it has that much except that like now we are more aware of less useful data that we can mm. sort of find accidentally. So there's this very good paper where nutritionists did the research for me, which is great. Good. <laughs> My understanding of it is that nutrition science has stayed pretty static and we've had a very like individual nutrient-focused approach. And that was useful 100 years ago Mm. when we were first discovering vitamins because it was like, what is this vital amine that I found? (laughs) Let's call it thiamine. This is vitamin B1. This is vitamin C. It helps with scurvy. And so, like, (laughs) that was initial nutrition science. Mm -hmm. And And that's super useful. That's very good. Nothing wrong with not getting scurvy. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, like, that was the 1910s to 1950s-ish. 1950s to 70s is when we started realizing that there were non-communicable diseases that are diet related so Mm. things that have to do with like a protein deficiency Mm. then you have this or if you have like a certain vitamin deficiency so like scurvy is an example of it so it's like you specifically Mm. have one vitamin deficiency what does that do there's a lot of focus on like if people don't have enough protein what happens to them if people don't have enough fat what happens to them what is worse what is better the general conclusion was like if people aren't eating that's bad for them. The 70s and 90s are when diabetes started coming in, where it's like diet-related chronic diseases that are longer lasting and maybe involving multiple factors, um, like multiple nutrition right. deficiencies. And all so, the breakthroughs and that stuff are that recent? Or like all the yeah. all of our understanding of Yeah. Wow. So like nutrition is just a young field. I was <laughs> reading about people in the 70s 
were, or maybe 60s or 70s, when running marathons, they would like drink shots of whiskey and stuff because they Uh had no idea that like you should hydrate while exercising. Like they just didn't know (laughs) until the mid 70s. Yeah. Weren't they thirsty? Yeah. (laughs) You'd think. I think they were like, the more I do this, the worse I do. (laughs) (laughs) And then from the 1990s to now, the problem that we're running into is that we're using the same nutritional approach to answer the question, what is a vitamin and how does disease work? Mm. And the disease is much more complicated. Mm. And now that we're trying to do studies around nutrients and diets, along with things like genetic studies and like big clinical trials, we're getting more contradictory reports because Mm. the way that nutrition research has been structured so far is to like dial really, really in on Mm -hmm. what vitamins, what minerals, what macronutrients are involved. Mm -hmm. And so we're not framing the questions correctly Mm. or we're not i don't know we don't have the methodology set in place because also the way that we run trials for different kinds of research we can't apply to nutrition Mm -hmm. questions necessarily like we can't assign people diets randomly and then assume that they'll actually stick to them right and when we give people food surveys about what they ate people's memories are horrible Mm -hmm. so like they're not going to report that accurately necessarily and then there are a lot of confounding factors because nutrition is so integrated with other society right. things like yeah. income or education or genetics yeah, or things like that. I've read so. this headline and subhead <laughs> that was about people cooking at home are healthier, but then a scientist was like, okay, let's look at that more granularly and found that people who cook at home who are wealthy are healthier, mm. but people who cook at home who are not as wealthy are less healthy because they huh. cook things that are very easy and fast to cook at home. And so it's like, this stuff's complicated. And also that like, when it comes to like societal health, there are a lot of these things that have less to do with like telling people what to eat and more to do with like class and access to food and like the ability to have time to like focus on things Mm -hmm. beyond like just, you know, making enough money to live. But yeah, so I guess the answer to this question, it hasn't changed a lot, but the questions that we're asking have changed a lot, and that's why it seemed to change a lot. Right. So like, mm-hmm. the way that we're doing nutrition research has stayed relatively the same, and that's the problem. If you want to ask your question to the Science Couch, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out topics from upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Pizza Tree Island and at John Luke Engel and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. Really sorry to John that you had to be up against Pizza Tree Island (laughs) there. Uh, The funnest name possible. (laughs) (laughs) Final Sambuck scores. Sarah, you've got one. Sam, you've got one. Stefan and I tied with two. I have points. If you like the show and you want to help us out, it's really easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful and helps us know what you like about the show. We'll also be looking at iTunes reviews for topic ideas for future episodes, so you can leave those there. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell tell people people about about us. I forgot that time. That's okay. Keep going. Okay. Thanks for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Jin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroka Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. Yeah.
But one more thing. A Dutch company has made poop into food by taking uh, a waste product from uh, sewage treatment plants and extracting the protein from it and turning that back into an edible product. Is anybody using it? Or is it, it's got to just be for animal feed. Animal feed, feed, I would think. Well, I mean, it's not like we couldn't eat it. It's just that we wouldn't. Mm. Yeah. We we found out where it came from. (laughs) Soylent Green is poopies. 